Welcome back to the Fully Express Podcast. I'm your host, Christina Roland, and I am so excited to be joined today by one of my dear friends and brothers, Jonah Borsma. I am so excited for y'all to hear from Jonah. He is a life coach and breathwork facilitator and co-founder of Be Zen Wellness in Eugene, Oregon. And Jonah and I met doing our breathwork uh, training together. And through this intense three-week training, we got to know each other very well, got to see a lot of different facets of each other. And Jonah just completely embodies the divine masculine and he is so powerful, but also humble and able to explore all facets of himself, um, is able to hold space for other people to explore all facets, all facets of themselves. Um, he brings so much compassion and grace and love to the space. And, um, I'm so excited for y'all to hear from him because he has so much to share and so much to, um, give. So (laughs) I'm so excited to have you. Welcome, Jonah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Christina. I, gosh, every time I hear nice words about myself, I just get all flustered. It makes my heart pump. Thank <laughs> you for that. Those kind words and that intro. I appreciate it. You're so, so welcome. It's, <laughs> it's all true. It's all true. So um, tell us about yourself. Who are you and what brought you to where you are today? Well, I have a very long story as we all do, but I am first and foremost, uh, a husband, a friend, a brother, a son. And I, um, came to where I am in this life through a really fun, fascinating road. Um, my wife and I started Bizen wellness together. She actually went through a yoga teacher training in 2015 and we decided, decided to create an LLC just for liability reasons, at the time we were operating seven drive-through coffee shops here in Eugene, Oregon, and uh, it just felt right for us to start this other business so that we had some protection because she was teaching yoga to all of our employees and working in our warehouse and uh, really opened my eyes and got me into the practice of yoga through her training. And it's just so amazing to see what opens up and unlocks for us when we move our bodies. Uh, I have a long history of leadership. I feel like it stems back to my childhood. My dad, when I was growing up, he and my uncle started a coffee business together called Dutch Bros Coffee. And at the time when it started, I believe I was seven years old. And my dad and uncle were very, very focused on creating and building a business. And so as a result of that, there was a lot of goal-oriented discussions and family road trips. My dad would listen to Tony Robbins cassette tapes on our way to the Oregon coast. And, you know, at the time, (laughs) my siblings and I just really couldn't stand it. We just wanted to listen to the radio. But there was always this background noise and information coming through that I was passively learning about through my dad and my uncle and this business venture that they took on. And that really was a big part of my development. Uh, My father and my mother were both very influential in my lives. I had an incredible upbringing and they really emphasized to us to do what we wanted, but to do our best. And 
through a lot of conversations, some lectures and discipline, I had a lot of talks about leadership and creating a life that's worth living. And that really translated into my adult life in a lot of ways. Uh, it, it pushed me in my teenage years to really pursue leadership while I was in school. I became the ASB president because I was just driven to, <laughs> I think in a way I just wanted to run things. <laughs> uh, but it really showed me a lot about teamwork and um, how to serve your people. And that also carried through into my adult life. I had a short stint in college, but it really wasn't for me. And it didn't take long before I came back to work for the family business. And I moved to Eugene at the age of 19 and got into management and leadership positions within the company here. And it was a really great learning experience because I was working with the general public in the customer service industry, but also managing a team of peers. And I had to learn a lot of really fun lessons in terms of how to discipline an employee when it felt really, really challenging because I had been there so many times myself. But it also really pushed me and empowered me in ways to build my confidence and try different things in the business world that sometimes worked and were total successes and also a lot of small failures. My wife and I got married in 2011. And at that time, we took over the seven Dutch Bros Coffee locations here in Eugene, Oregon. We, at any given time, had just over 150 employees. We brought in a lot of money and revenue, and that was through a lot of painful failures in trying to build our business as the company itself was changing, but also through really incredible successes that came through a lot of tenacious teamwork. And through those experiences with Dutch Bros, with um, growing up in this leadership-driven, goal-oriented family business dynamics, I really got to pursue and learn from different leaders. I got to go to a lot of different Anthony Robbins seminars and learn from him, who I have a lot of love and respect for that man. He's been in the, I don't know what you would call it, self-improvement industry <laughs> for decades. And going to those seminars really uh, opened my eyes in a lot of ways, changed my life in a lot of ways. Um, and I really started pursuing my own passions and looking into expanding my own mind in terms of what different ways of being a leader looks like, um, my spirituality, and ultimately just creating the reality that I wanted to create for myself. Brittany, my wife, and I ended up selling our franchise of Dutch Bros Coffee back to the company in 2018. And at that time, I took a bit of space for myself to think about what I wanted to pursue and what really meant a lot to me. And I landed in this space of thinking about what I missed about what I did at Dutch Bros. And the things I missed the most was working with others to reach for something greater than themselves in that moment. There was so much goal setting and personal development that was emphasized in our business 
that really lit me up and made me feel on fire in so many different ways. And that led me down this path of pursuing a certification for life coaching. And what I realized as I was doing this training and began working as a professional coach in 2019 was that there are so many incredible humans out there in the world that don't believe they're worth living the life of their dreams. And it struck me that the lack of self-confidence was really holding so many of my clients back from living a satisfactory and just complete life. And so I've really put an emphasis in my coaching practice on helping people to build self-confidence and just find purpose in what they're doing and what they're creating for themselves in their lives and in their worlds. And it really lights me up. And that's led me down a path of my own evolution. And I have this mission to continue to grow and change and evolve as a man as I continue to age. And I really hope that that never stops. But that's kind of a brief glimpse into my history and and where I'm at today and why I am doing what I'm doing in this moment. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for that. That was such an awesome um, picture of, you know, a small part of your story, but like you hit on some really amazing things there. And something that I heard you say a couple of times was this idea of creating a life worth living and the reality that you wanted to create. Like, and I love the way you said that, like creating it, using that word (laughs) implies that you are in full ownership of it. Right. And in full responsibility of it and that you're capable of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that not a lot of, not everyone in the world believes that they're actually capable of creating it. Like you said, worthy of having it, um, that it's actually in their hands. And so I really love the way that you put that. Um, and I also love what you said about, uh, it was a combination of painful failures and incredible successes and tenacious teamwork. I love that. (laughs) Um, I was just talking to my coach today and I was saying to him that I firmly believe that like the main difference between people who quote unquote make it, whatever that means to people, whether that's like fame, money, success, however you define it, Um, But the main difference between people who make it and the people who don't is that the people who make it just keep going, right? (laughs) Like there's just no stopping. You just keep going. And so I'm really curious to hear more from you about like some of those painful failures, whether it be related to business or personal life or anything, because I think it's really easy for people to see coaches as people who have like just got it all figured out or like never had any pain or anything like that. Um, and that they aren't failures or have never failed. And so let's break that up. Let's, let's break up that story. I would love to hear a little bit more if you're open to that. Yeah, totally. You know, I worked with different coaches myself, um, hired different coaches and I also have been that person that kind of put them on a pedestal and was like, they, They've never fucked anything up. They've got it all figured <laughs> out. And I don't know at what point I had the realization that they're also humans. But <laughs> I, it 
finally dawned on me at one point. And I think what most people fail to do for themselves is give themselves permission to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, when I mentioned some of the failures that I've experienced, I, I can think of so many small and trivial ones that add up to a big picture. But I learned so much from those small, trivial failures, along with some of the big ones. You know, in my coffee business owning days, I didn't manage money very well for our business. And I was doing all right in terms of my personal finances. I was having fun. I was vacationing when it was appropriate, but also setting money aside and saving. And there was a lot of opportunity for me to make improvements in my business. And I took advantage of every single one of them because I really witnessed as a young man and as a teenager, it being modeled for me to pour back into your business before you take from it. And so I was, you know, purchasing new vehicles for the business, for our uh, inventory deliveries. I was bonusing out employees, remodeling some of my locations, and I didn't manage that very well. And there was one situation that came to me and uh, totally caught me off guard when it was time to do our payroll and we did not have enough funds in the bank account to pay our staff. And that was a freak out moment for me. And I ended up pulling money from my own personal funds in order to actually get our employees paid. Uh, But there was a huge lesson in that. I was not analyzing and projecting into the future well enough to sustain the changes that I was trying to make for my business. And that opened my eyes in a way I really did not expect and also scared me. Um, that's one example of uh, a really incredible failure that thank goodness I had a cushion to be able to move through it and not allow that to make us crumble. But from that point forward, I was very cautious and intentional about the money that I was spending on my business. I still really wanted to make a lot of improvements because there was a lot of improvements to be had, but I knew that it couldn't all happen at once and I had to be strategic and I had to be diligent with the way I was using those funds to make sure that we never put ourselves in a position where we couldn't pay our people. Because to me, that's unacceptable. (laughs) Poor, poor financial management. And I had to swallow this pill that I did not know what I was doing. And that was a really great wake up call to pay attention. Mm -hmm. And, um, some of my other failures that I really think about from a personal level is, you know, my dad was ill for quite some time. He passed away in 2009 from Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And it's a really horrifying disease to watch somebody go through. There's no known cure. And, uh, it essentially just eats away at a person's motor functions until their heart either gives up or they develop pneumonia or go through respiratory failure. Um, my dad started showing symptoms of this illness 
when I was 18 years old, my freshman year of college. And it took, you know, about six years before he passed. And there was a period of time in that stretch, uh, in that experience that I really let go of a lot of aspects of myself. I let go of a lot of my desires for my life. I let go of a lot of my vision for my life and I was numbing. I was smoking a lot of pot. I uh, wasn't really talking to my friends about it because I didn't feel safe to do so. Um, really the only people I could talk to about it were my siblings, my mom, uh, and my wife who at the time was my girlfriend. And I had really just felt in that period of time, uh, so much despair for a lot of different reasons, but a big aspect of that time that I do consider a failure was that I let go of myself. I let go of my dreams. I let go of, uh, a, a big piece, a big part of myself because I didn't know how to cope with what I was experiencing. And I ended up moving back to Eugene, Oregon. I, for a period of time, I was back at our hometown to be close with my family and be close with my dad while he was ill. I ended up moving back to Eugene for work. And it was a really challenging decision for me to make to leave my family. At the time, I was living right next door to my parents. And my dad was on a ventilator. And so I was able to be there to support he and my mom within 30 seconds of a phone call. And there were a lot of scary things that happened during that time with his illness, being that he was on a ventilator, he had a tracheostomy and, um, there would have to be suctions that were done because he would get mucus buildup in his lungs. And that created a lot of panic for my mom and for different people in my family. But I was always able to really keep a kind of a calm and cool demeanor during those experiences. And, you know, for me to make the decision to leave while my dad was still ill and knowing that I wasn't going to be there to be that crutch and that support for my mom if there was ever an emergency situation that she needed help with was very scary and challenging for me to accept um, the possibility of. And I finally came to this point of realizing there were so many things I wanted to do in my life and so many things that I had let go of for that time being that I felt so crappy about internally that I was just ready to move forward with my life. And one of the things that I really took into consideration was thinking about what my dad would have wanted for me. And I know that he wanted us, me, my siblings, me and my siblings to really just do anything that our hearts desired. But like I said earlier, just give it our best. Um, my parents never pressured us to go to college. My dad always told us if we wanted to get a job at Taco Bell, he would fully support that. But as long as we were giving it our best shot and knowing that about him, I felt a bit of encouragement to move forward and pursue my life in the way that I actually wanted to, because I had let go of that for so long and I felt so terrible about it. And so that to me felt like, in a way, a, a big fail in my life because I recognize how much inner turmoil that caused me to 
let go of my dreams and give an aspect of my life up, even though I knew it was in this uh, space of really loving and wanting to care for another, uh, it just was temporary. And I moved forward from that place in my life. I moved to Eugene and came back to working for the family company and and that was previous to my wife and I purchasing these locations from the company, but it really put me back on this path and this trajectory of what I was trying to create for myself. And I had to come out of it on the other side, recognizing that there were some really beautiful things that came out of that. But one of those important lessons was that I really did let go of myself for a while and I didn't recognize how painful it was for me to do that. So those are a couple of examples, a personal and a business example of some of those big fails that I learned a lot from. Um, but ultimately, you know, through both of those experiences, I think that the underlying feeling that I had that drove my decisions was a lot of care and a lot of love. You know, I, I had so much love for my dad and my family that it made it challenging, but I also knew that I loved the life that I was trying to create and I was young and it was time. And in the business decision, uh, in the business failures, I should say, in terms of, you know, spending my money really poorly, uh, I was doing it from a space of wanting to improve because I had so much care for my crew so much care for my customers that I wanted it to be the best it could be. I just didn't have the vision and foresight to look at the consequences. And so there were some great learning lessons through those failures. And hopefully I never make those mistakes again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for those shares. Um, yeah. I, 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 really, really appreciate how vulnerable you, you just were. And yeah, I really hear that, that although you may have made some mistakes, quote unquote failures, you really did come from this place of love and heart and, and commitment and dedication to this life that you were building and, um, and to being the best you could be at what you were doing. And I think that's so beautiful. And yeah, I think um, it's so often really hard for most of us, definitely myself included, to see failures in this way. But like, I hear that, for example, the business failure was so necessary, right? Like you, like you said, hopefully I never make that mistake again, or, and it sounds like you probably won't, right? You really learned your lesson of like, oh, wow, like, this is the thing I need to get some elevation on this. I need to be able to see the whole picture. Like, even if I'm coming from heart, like how can I merge that with other qualities of leadership? Um, Cause that's what you started off this conversation saying like leadership and creating a life that's worth living, right? There, there's both elements and leadership can look like a lot of things, but um, in being a leader in your life, it's really important to be able to see the full picture and I think that that's something that people forget um, because there's so much like 
putting the decisions in someone else's hands. That's a thing that I see a lot of people doing rather yeah. than being the leader in their own life. And so whether you're running a company like you were, or you're just managing your own self and your day-to-day business, like it's so important to be able to see it all and also to bring that heart and that compassion. Um, and what I hear that you have right now is self-forgiveness too. Like you're able to be like, okay, yeah, like I did make some mistakes, but I, I forgive myself and I see what that was, what that was for and, and why that I had to go through that. So it's really beautiful. Yeah. You know, I think it took me a while to come to that place of self-forgiveness as well and really gave myself the grace to feel I think the shame that I felt from spending more money than I had um, and also feel the guilt that I felt from moving away from my father when he was, you know, essentially on his deathbed and um, giving yourself the grace to experience those emotions, I think is really important, but where a lot of people tend to take it is to then judge themselves for, having that experience. Oftentimes we make ourselves feel bad for feeling bad about something. (laughs) And I think it really did take me a while to come to that, that space of allowing myself to feel negatively um, without criticizing it and without judging myself for it. Um, And that really, I think lend, lend a great hand to self-forgiveness as well. Mm, yeah, that's so beautiful. Um, there's that quote that's like, um, oh gosh, I'm totally going to butcher it, but it's something along the lines of like, um, your, your thoughts around suffering are worse than the actual suffering or something like that. Or <laughs> um, <laughs> like, if you think about it, if you judge yourself, like you were saying, it's actually worse than the experience of, of the act or of the suffering, quote unquote. Um, so I think that's so powerful and so important because yeah, there, it's, it's absolutely something I know that you and I see in our work all the time where People are taught to stuff down their emotions in order to keep going and and to get by and to not address things and to not admit the failure, um, whether it's personally or out loud. Um, And that does no good for anybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And actually addressing it, actually feeling it is the best way to move through it. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Cool. You know, I'm thinking also about what you had said about being the leader in our lives. You know, it, it's so important for us to really maintain a vision for what it is that we want to create. And I haven't always been very good at that. I'll be the first to admit it. You know, my, my uncle, Travis, when I and when Brittany and I were in the coffee business, oftentimes he would ask us, what was our five-year plan? And, you know, I remember as a child when my dad and my uncle would sit down together, they would have these meetings that were very goal oriented, but they would set goals for six months, one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. And it was like anything they could dream up, you know, anything that came to mind, regardless of how ridiculous it might seem, they would write it down. And 
when my uncle would ask me what my five-year plan was, I, I never had an answer. I was always kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to do in three weeks, man. Like I'm just, I'm living presently. And, um, because of that lack of direction and that lack of vision in my life, I was not in the driver's seat. You know, I wasn't creating what I really wanted to create. And I think a big part of that was just not being in touch with what my actual desires for my life were. And so now I sit in a place where I think when I, when I spend time to visualize what I want to create for myself in my future, I can see the power in it because it gives me like a roadmap to follow something to lean into something to look towards. And there are a lot of people out there in the world. And you may have experienced this with some of your clients that really just don't know what they want to create for themselves and haven't actually spent the time to really consider what they want for their lives. And the ironic thing about that is those people already have so many of the things that they want, right? Like it can be as basic as I want to have a roof over my head when I sleep at night, things that we might take for granted. I want to have clean drinking water, you know, and there's so much stuff that I've looked at in my life that I have wanted and just went after and got a lot of those things being materialistic, but also a lot that are meaningful and impactful and fall in line with my personal values. And so, you know, having the, the vision to look forward and what you want to create for yourself based off of what you desire is so important because it gives you something to lean into and look towards and work towards. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I find that majority of my clients (laughs) don't actually know what they want, especially men. I work predominantly with men and I used to work predominantly with women. So, and I've noticed the trend that definitely with men in particular, a lot of them don't know what they actually want because there's so much conditioning around what someone should want. Um, And how someone should want to be and show up in the world, especially as a man. There's a lot of expectations put around that. And so when I ask men, and as you said, like, especially people who already have a lot of things, (laughs) people who are already like a certain level of successful and things like that. I'm like, well, what do you want from here? And they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, well, why do you keep? wanting more and more and more then like, why do you keep going for more? Why do you keep like killing yourself? And they're like, I don't know. Like, I think isn't that what I'm supposed to do? <laughs> yeah. But when you're at that place, it's like, it's hard to actually create from a place of feeling really good about everything. And I think something that I always tell my clients is like, you know, the action might look exactly the same, but it's all about where you're choosing from, right? Like it's, I'm not saying you shouldn't go for more success. You can absolutely go for more success if that's what you want, but are you choosing that from a place of I'm not enough? I don't have enough. I'll never be enough. It will never be enough. I'm supposed to do this. Or are you choosing it from a place of like, I really want that. And 
and I already love myself, but this is going to make it even more fun to live my life. And this is going to be really exciting and bring me a lot of joy. And I love a challenge or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that that's such a huge trend that I see. And it also reminds me of something that you said earlier too, where you said, um, pouring back into the business before taking from it. And I also see that, um, in people, right? So it's the same, like the, where I'm going with this is like the idea of like self-care and investing in yourself and in your business as well. And I think that there's this, again, skewed vision of like what that's supposed to be like. And the action can be the same, but where you're choosing from matters. So it's like, are you choosing to pour into yourself as like a way to, um, like procrastinate or distract yourself from actually taking action? Or are you pouring into yourself because you actually need it? Um, Are you pouring into your business because it actually needs to be improved before people can see it? Are you pouring into your business because you're afraid it's never going to be good enough, it's never going to be perfect enough, and you must keep hiding it until it is, (laughs) or whatever, you know? Um, And so... Yeah, I think it's all about where you're choosing to take that action from. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree because, you know, our our emotional state is really what's fueling the actions that we're taking. Mm-hmm. So if we're coming from if we're taking action coming from a place of fear, right? It's going to be a completely different result that we create when we take action from a place of enthusiasm or excitement. And so, yeah, the, the way we approach the actions we take, you know, the emotions that we fuel those actions with really make a big difference in the results that we create for ourselves. Yeah, totally. I always tell all my clients that, uh, creating your goals requires the combination of both action and intention, right? And one is really nothing without the other. Even if you're taking action, you could take a bunch of action and it not be intentional at all and you get nowhere and you just kill yourself doing a bunch of things that really didn't contribute to what you want, right? So not that I've ever done that to pull it on a hot tub. So I'm so curious too, um, you know, I hear that you grew up around a lot of um, like Tony Robbins and, and self work type of conversations. And, and it sounds like your dad and your uncle were very open in those conversations as well. Uh, but I'd love to hear more about your experience as a man in this realm and doing this work because I definitely still run into a lot of men in particular who are very resistant to this type of work. And, um, you know, I have my own theories and things like that. Um, but I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on like, what's it like to be a man in this space and how do you see like us paving the way for more men to be in this space as well? Yeah, that's really great questions. I think for my personal experience, I've encountered a lot of loneliness in that I am in a space today 
where I know it's a big part of my mission to continue to grow and learn and evolve as I keep getting older day by day. And I really believe that life's experience gives us daily lessons. There's, there's something we can learn every day from the experience that we have. You know, there's constant, constantly circumstances happening all around us that we get to decide how we want to think and feel about. And there's always lessons in that. And so for me being in this space I'm in now, I've gone through a lot of phases of loneliness in that I, I feel like the relationships that I have had with other men specifically uh, in the past, there's been a lot of superficial aspects to it and not a lot of depth. And I'm now in a position where I am lacking interest in some of the things that used to be interesting to me. I really don't watch a lot of television anymore. I used to watch, you know, all the shows on HBO and some of the sitcoms and sports. And, you know, I grew up watching Monday night football and going to my grandparents' house to watch NBA basketball games. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I've just kind of became a lot less interested in those things. I was also a total party monster in my twenties. Like I, I loved going to a good party. I loved bar hopping and dancing with my wife and having just a blast, you know, taking shots with a group and having these wild social um, experiences that I look at today and I don't have a ton of desire for any longer. And I've realized that there's this depth that I have recognized was missing in a lot of those experiences. And I was just chatting with a friend the other day. I went on a hike with a buddy of mine and I was sharing, we were talking about the same topic and I was sharing with him, you know, I I don't even watch sports anymore. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, sports is a great way to keep people connected. And I said, playing sports is a great way to keep people connected. Playing is the connector, but watching a game is not very connecting to me. And that was a really uh, cool revelation for me because I haven't been on any team sports for quite some time. So I'm kind of like, maybe it's time to get on a kickball team or something. (laughs) But the depth in relating has been something that I've recognized isn't always there when it comes to my relationships with other men. Um, I can't help but think about how many guys I know that just dive so deep into fantasy sports, fantasy football leagues. And I am reminded of a time I went on a bachelor party trip to Las Vegas and this group was a very fun group. And we went and got a cabana at a pool party And I'm sitting at this cabana and we just ordered some food and I'm looking around and every single one of these dudes is just on their cell phones. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, oh, we're checking fantasy. And I couldn't believe it. I was just so like astonished that here we are in Las Vegas at a pool party. We just ordered food. There's people all around, there's music bumping and everyone's glued to their phone because they're 
wanting to see how their fantasy teams are doing. And I realized like, I will never play fantasy football that day. It just won't. I have made a vow that day. Like it's just not going to happen. But the, the depth in connection was totally stolen by these little dopamine hits of fantasy football. And I do have some great friends that are men that I can have really open and honest and vulnerable conversations with. But I think the issue that a lot of men have is there's so much fear in vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And I understand that because it's uncomfortable. And I have friends that I know I don't feel comfortable with sharing deep and scary aspects of my life, things that I have fear over, you know, shadow aspects. But yet there are some other men, friends of mine that I feel totally comfortable to open up in a vulnerable way to. And when vulnerability is not displayed to me, I've realized it makes me fearful to display it myself. Mm. And I think it just comes from a place of wanting to feel safe. And I know how important safety is for others being in the role I'm in. I sit in as a coach and as a facilitator in that if you don't create a safe container for others, they're not going to be okay to open themselves up to whatever experience wants to present itself. And for me personally, if I don't feel as though another man can be vulnerable and honest and authentic with me, it makes it very challenging for me to want to be authentic, honest, and vulnerable with them. I think we've been conditioned as men, you know, for a long time to, you know, toughen up and um, play a certain role that doesn't leave a lot of room for our emotions. And it's been a big uh, aspect of my personal evolution and my own healing journey to really tap into and get in touch with my emotional intelligence and keep building upon what I've already got. And so I, I really strive to continue to express the feelings that I've got. And that may be apathetic feelings or totally indifferent. And I think it's still important for me to express that in some way, but anytime I'm feeling resistance or fear or anxiety, I know that if I continue to shove those things to the side, stuff it away, resist it, avoid it, distract from it, they're only going to persist. And so for me, you know, I still have a lot of work to do as a man in developing my emotional IQ and expressing myself fully because for a long time it wasn't safe to do so. And in fact, I think I masked a lot of those aspects of my life from myself and didn't realize that maybe I had some anxieties, didn't realize that I had some insecurities, didn't realize these things because it wasn't okay for me to have those experiences. And so they got completely ignored and just stolen from my awareness. 
And I did that myself. Um, however, I do think that there is societal conditioning and programming that I learned that, you know, made it more challenging for me to really dive into the depths of who I am. And thank goodness I'm in a space today where I am willing to go there. I'm willing to experience it and I'm willing to face the challenges that come with it because I know it can be uncomfortable. And that's a part of our human existence is discomfort. So the more willing I am to embrace it, the easier it is to get on the other side of it. Mm. I think the second part of your question was, you know, how do we, how do we help men through this? I, I kind of forget what you had asked in that second part. Yeah. Well, let's, well, let's pause there. Cause I, I really love everything that you just said. And, um, you know, you mentioned that if other men aren't displaying vulnerability, it can be difficult for you to do the same and that you weren't able to acknowledge certain emotions and parts of yourself, um, partially from your own doing, but partially from societal conditioning. And this is such an important conversation and it's why I'm so passionate about working with men is because, yeah, I don't think that people realize how unsafe it feels for men to fully express themselves and to be vulnerable, um, not only with each other, but even with women, especially female partners and things like that, because of the expectations there are to, as you put it, be the tough guy or be the provider or um, really hold that hyper-masculine role in, in many spaces. And it's interesting that you brought up sports as well, because sports um, are an outlet for all of this and are so popular amongst men because it's one of the only spaces where men are actually allowed to express love and adoration and, and even sadness and anger and vulnerability, but attached to something outside of themselves, right? Like attached to how well their favorite team is doing, attached to how their fantasy team is doing, um, attached to how their fellow player on the field is doing. It's where you see men cry. It's where you see men hug each other. It's where you see men slap each other's butts. Like it's, it's like the, thing where fathers and sons get together and watch and that's their one thing in common. And so it's so interesting how, uh, yeah, our societal conditioning has made it so that, that there are only certain spaces, sports being one of them, where men actually do feel like they can connect and, and, uh, find a way to be with each other because yeah, vulnerability begets vulnerability, right? So if, if no one is leading that, um, it can be really difficult to, to create that kind of environment for men. And I think that does lead us into the second part of my question, which was, yeah, how do we continue to pave the way for more men to enter this kind of work and, you know, I think maybe partially you answered it in that, like, you know, showing up vulnerably yourself and myself is a big part of it. But yeah, what else do you see as ways to continue to open up these types of conversations for people? Yeah, I, I think one way I, I look at 
my own personal life and what can I do? And one thing that's been coming to me a lot lately is just asking more quality questions of the men in my life and just taking things to the next layer down. Um, because I fall into that same pattern of superficial conversation all the time. You know, it's not like I'm at this level of depth that I don't relate to anyone anymore, even though I may have had those feelings of, you know, feeling as though I don't relate. Uh, I can still keep it on the surface really easily. I mean, I was in the customer industry, customer service industry for so long. It's a skill. However, <clears throat> asking really quality questions of our men and being that safe space for them to actually express where you don't have reaction and it doesn't become a dramatic experience, I think is, is really a powerful way to open up the doors for vulnerability. I was chatting with one of my friends about a month ago and, you know, we were just talking about openness with one another and openness in our relationships with our partners, our romantic partners, and also in our platonic relationships. And he really expressed to me how uncomfortable it is for him to open up completely to others because there is an underlying fear of rejection and an underlying fear of abandonment or an underlying fear of humiliation, which are all these core wounds of our spirit. And it was so refreshing for me to hear him open up in that way because I needed to hear that from another man. And it gave me the permission to then, you know, open up the conversation from my end and express the same fears that I've got. But one of the things he said to me was that he didn't feel like he could have that type of conversation with any of the other guys in his life. And he thanked me for just listening and not having a response to each little thing he said and, and not trying to fix the problem for him, but just being a listening ear and holding that space from a place of really just care for my brother. And I really appreciated that conversation because it just showed me another example of another man that has the same fears that I've got, right? The fear of rejection is huge for me. And it's not that it's a fear of rejection from a random person. I have a fear of rejected from the people that are closest to me, you know, fear of rejection from my wife, fear of rejection from my siblings, fear of rejection from my mother. And it's a potent fear. And I have this awareness around it. So I know how to work with it. But, you know, seeing another man express that to me and hear what he had to say, gave me permission to share the same fears with him, albeit slightly different. Uh, it's my expression of that fear versus his, but I, from giving him the space to express, 
it opened up the doors for me to be able to express also, which then let him know he's not alone. And I really think that it stemmed from asking valuable questions and it stemmed from a willingness to take things a little bit deeper than we tended to take things in the past. And that doesn't mean that every conversation I have with this friend is super deep and profound. You know, we're both jokesters also. So we just flick each other shit and there's plenty of banter. And I love that aspect of our relationship, of our brotherhood. But there's also this piece of our friendship that can take things to a deeper level. And I'm so grateful for that experience to be able to have a conversation like that with him, because now I know we can go there again. And so, you know, I do think it's important, excuse me. I do think it's important for people to be able to hold space from a place of care and love. um, When anybody is opening up or has the potential to open up for a man to approach a challenging conversation with the preconceived idea that there's going to be a judgment, it's just not going to happen. And so, you know, I think it's a challenge for us to hold that space at times because we're all in our own experience as well. There are plenty of times that I don't have the capacity to hold a safe space for another person because I'm in my own shit. And yet having the grace for myself to allow myself to go through those experiences, knowing that I can come through it on the other side and be a support to a brother when it's appropriate for me to do so, I think is really important. And so, you know, I I think we've got a long ways to go as a society to help men to open up, help men to express Um, because there's a lot of suppression and there's a lot of things that we as men are not willing to face because it's too scary. Yeah, totally. Thank you for that. Yeah. I really appreciate your response. I, it, it is amazing the shift that you can, um, notice and receive in someone the second that you ask a question a slightly different way. <laughs> um, and where you, when you do prompt a question that is a little bit deeper than normal or a little bit more introspective than normal. So yeah, really beautiful. I love that you're showing up and practicing, you know, it's a practice for all of us and it sounds like you're doing the same. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, um, what for? Because I think that plenty of people, not just men, but um, especially men, but um, people in general might hear a conversation like this or or see people doing um, self-work and, and kind of be like, well, why? Like, why would I want to be vulnerable, right? Like, it is scary. It is hard. It is this fear of rejection. So what's this for? And what do you actually get out of it? And how has it made your life better? Do you think? Um, and you know, including not just self work, but maybe even breath work, all the other me- like different parts of your medicine bag that you've explored or um, whatever. But yeah, like what? Why even 
risk that vulnerability and that fear to do this and to even ask a deeper question. Yeah. I, for me personally, the reason why to become a more full version of myself and one of the things that I am really striving to work towards is authenticity and I'm not there every moment of the day. And I have my moments of my authentic self, but there is also still a lot of my own self work to be done so that I can express myself in the fullest version of who I am. And when we mask or hide aspects of ourselves from others, whether it's our friends, our partners, our coworkers, we're robbing them of getting to know the version of us that is truth. We're taking from them the opportunity to get to know who we really truly are. And I think the moments that you are able to express yourself from a place of true authenticity, it just opens up the world in such a big way for you. And so for me, the reason why is so that I can be more of me. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. But you know, it's not for everyone. Not everyone is ready for that. Not everyone is willing to experience that. And that's okay too. You know, if you have a calling to become the next evolution of yourself, then personal development work is for you. If you don't have that calling, there's nothing wrong with you, right? Like you can be exactly who you want to be at any given moment. And that's, what's beautiful about being a human and, you know, living in the society we live in is we get to express ourselves however we want. So if for you, that means you would prefer to hide and you would prefer to not show the world your full self, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. For me, I want to be on the path of continued evolution so that I can keep becoming the next version of me, you know, the next full expression of me. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And tying it back to what you said earlier, I think it's like, again, it's where you choose from. If you don't want to be on this path from a place of like, you are truly fully content and and that's where you want to stay, like, great. And there are lots of people who I think, um, like you also said earlier, don't believe that they're actually worthy of the life that they really dream of, that they really want, um, and that they're not really worthy of having that next best thing, (laughs) um, for themselves and for their life. And so, um, really taking a look at like, would this next level of expression, this next level of authenticity, this next level of vulnerability, um, help me 
achieve like that next level of what I've been craving and dreaming and, and do I believe I'm worthy of it? So mm-hmm. really, really cool. Well, yeah. I think that's actually a really perfect, Oh, were you going to say something? Sorry. I just, you know, I think it's such a fascinating uh, topic of discussion, you know, because it, it might be something different for every individual person, but yeah, we don't have to elaborate anymore. I feel like that that was deep enough. <laughs> Well, I think that that's a perfect segue as you were talking about um, being the fullest version of yourself, fullest expression of yourself. Um, For our final question that I ask everyone, which is, what does it mean to you to be your most fully expressed self? Ooh, what a great question. You know, to be my fully expressed self, it's just a means of me feeling truly feeling the emotions that I'm feeling in the moment and letting that be the fuel for the actions that I'm taking. And it's a willingness to experience the full spectrum of who I am. That includes the anxieties, the insecurities, the fears, just as importantly and just as valid as the bliss, the joy, the humor. And um, I really do think that that is why I'm here is to experience it all. And if I continue to have that willingness to go through whatever the universe brings me and experience any piece, any part of this spectrum of emotion that I've got within me, and allow it to be without resistance and without hiding and without avoiding and letting that be the fuel for the actions I take in that moment without judgment, without criticism, then that is how I can be the full expression of me. Um, What a great question. Thank you so much, Shona. I so appreciate you and all of your wisdom and your heart and your vulnerability today and always. Where can people connect with you, find you, work with you, all the things? Yeah. Um, Instagram is a great place. I'm at Jonah Borsma. Um, Also our business at B-Z-E-N Wellness, at B-Z-E-N Wellness. And, um, you can go to our website, bzenwellness.com as well. We have small little events here and there in Eugene. We're trying to host breath work, uh, once a month. We also put on retreats here and there. We've done some internationally, um, and some single day offerings at our beautiful sanctuary space here in Eugene, Oregon. So you can check out our website and go to our Instagram pages. Um, we also have a newsletter that you can sign up for to get, weekly little hits of wisdom and see any upcoming events that we've got on the calendar. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jonah. Thanks y'all for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the fully expressed podcast. If you liked what you heard, I'd be so honored if you'd hit that rate and review button and leave us some love. If you want some more content from me and some more connection, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at healing W for with Christina. 
I am so grateful for you, and I hope that you're inspired to start living your fully expressed life today.